Love the book of Esther. How many have enjoyed somewhat the study or reminder of the book of Esther this summer? I hope you have. It's been a help and blessing to your pastor just to learn more about it. And I don't understand it all. There's some things that just, uh, as I even read today and, and I read this week and I've listened to it several times and read it numerous times in preparation for tonight, I thought, my goodness, there's, I know there's more here than I see, Lord, but I'm just going to tell them what I see and we'll see what God helps us to do. But I want to ask you real quickly, I know there's nobody here but us, and it's, uh, you're, there's a lot of you out there, and there's one of me, and, but when you think about Esther and the study of Esther, what are some prominent things that come to your heart, things that you really feel like that a lesson that would be good for anybody, maybe for you, for anybody, from the book of Esther? Does anybody have a thought or two that comes to your mind? Yes, sir, Brother John? Yes, uh-huh. Yeah, God's always at work. That's a wonderful thing. It's, it's the book of the Bible where Jesus or God is not mentioned one time. Prayer is not even mentioned. And of course, some people believe the reason it wasn't mentioned is because God says, my name is not, to be, is not there. My name is back in Israel. That's where I told you to go. And, and I, I want my name to be lifted up over there. And not there, but whatever reason, it's not mentioned at all in that book. But you can't ignore God in the equation. What else comes to your mind when you think about this book? Yes, sir, but Lawrence. Yeah, when things seem impossible, God can still make a way. That's a good point. Somebody else real quickly, what comes to your mind? Yes, Brother Danny? <laughs> it's unbelievable. This story, I don't think you could make up a story like this if you wanted to. It's just the things that came to, came to place and that God is working in behind the scenes. We learned three things about the Lord in the recent study, that he is watching, he is working, and he is waiting. Can you say those with me? He is watching, he's working, he's waiting. God's not on our, you know, one of God's favorite tools to work in our life, you won't like it. It's called delay. Uh, he uses delay in our life. I think one thing we find here, especially in this, in this book, is that God uses delay and discernment. You have to really think through this stuff. And they're thinking, there's, there's a lot of thinking going on in, in Mordecai's mind. A lot of thinking going on in, um, in Esther's mind. She has to make a lot of decisions and, and, and what should I do? And her, and her uncle's making those decisions. One people, one person who is not thinking is a hazardous because <laughs> he's drunk most of the time. You know, you ever heard that dumb thing, think when you drink? Yeah, right. You know, that's just the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. And intoxications and addictions, they, they skew your thoughts there. What else comes to your mind when you think about the book of Esther? Someone quickly. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Don't be afraid. Have confidence. If I perish, I perish. Said, this is what God wants to do. You pray for me. You, you, you didn't, she didn't say pray, but you fast with me. And this is what I need to do. You've come into the kingdom for such a time. This is time to stand up and uh, get going there. Yes, sir, Brother Mike? Yes. He made you for a purpose and to be used in his time. You've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. You're working where you work. You live where you live. Your situation where you are. Be comfortable and content with the pace that God has in your life and the place he has put you. There's a reason why you're there. And I think that is a great point, Brother Mike. Anybody else? Get one more. Someone else who's got something you want to share with me? Brother Glenn, what comes to your mind? God does. He protects his own. 
And I tell you one thing that, that really ravages our hearts and lives is fear. Fear is an issue. But learning to trust God. At what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Here, here, I think the, the key to that verse is what time. At that very moment you feel an impulse of fear, that's the time to pray. And trust the Lord. Take your care and make it prayer. Don't let that fear overwhelm you. Many of us, we struggle. Some of it's because of father wounds or mother wounds in our childhood. Uh, some of it's just our nature. We're just a naturally a little bit more timid and insecure. But boy, especially in those situations, take fear did not come from the Lord. Paul told Timothy, who was no doubt gripped by fear many times, he said, I know how you cry. I know how you're, you're overwhelmed with that. He said, but God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power to do what you should do, to love as you should love, and have a sound mind to think as you should think. By way of just a quick review, this story is, is cast after the, the captivity of Babylon, the Judean captivity. It already came and went. Seventy years went by. God's people had been allowed to go back with the Cyrus's decree, and he says, you can go back, and, and they go back, really, and there's three little waves of Zerubbabel and Ezra, and then Nehemiah goes back, and uh, during that time, many of the Jews stay in, uh, in Babylon, and Mordecai is one of those, and his, uh, his niece, Esther, is another one. There are no names in the early part of the book. It's, uh, it's basically about Ahasuerus and, and his wife, Asti, and, and she, they had that big party and showing off all of the treasures in his summer palace of Shushan there in Persia. Last seven days, a drunken stupor, and then he tries to get Vashti to come over. She rebels, and then he fires her from being the queen and puts a decree out, and they go for four years without a queen. Uh, sometimes you think it's just the next page, so this happened next week. But four years goes, and then finally, uh, in that uh, in that four-year period of time, the third year, he has suggested get these virgin girls to come from all over your province, whoever you want, and get them to come. And that's when Mordecai moved and and put his his uh, niece in that uh, that uh, that contestant uh, or that contest. And he went there and he monitored what was going on. He walked outside the gates of where she stayed. And she stayed there for a whole year, being supplied with all the beauty things that she would like for her purification and for her beauty and toning up her body and getting ready to go to see the, queen, the king. And he would inquire, how's she doing? One thing that happened very obviously is something about her not only the, the providence of God, which we can see in the whole book, but especially her spirit. She was unassuming. She was not a complainer. Her spirit was probably as beautiful as, as her countenance. And the man in charge of it spotted it right away. He said, you know, this is a special... He gave her kind of a special place. Gave her and the other girls, seven girls, to take care of them and to tend for their need. But one thing is known about Esther is she did not ask for anything beyond what was provided for her. She didn't say, well, I need more shampoo. How can I get this? How come they're not getting that? I want more. No, she just kind of took it. Whatever was given to her, she just lived with it. Had a contented spirit. And I think that's something every Christian ought to have, don't you think? A contented spirit and realizing that God's given me everything I need for my present happiness. If I'm not happy, it's certainly not God's fault. 
and learn to be content. She had a contented spirit. It was very becoming of the man who took care of her, the chamberlain that took care of her. And when she saw the king, hands down, the king said, uh, contest over, I want her. And I don't need to, need to talk to anymore. That's who, that's who I want to be my queen. And he made her queen, gave the kingdom a day off, and, and cut their taxes and all in celebration of his new queen after four years. Well, five more years would go by. And now a fellow named Haman has become very influential in the kingdom. He's second in command. And Mordecai, though the king did not know of his relation to Esther at the time, I don't think, but some, somehow, some way, he weaseled his way in. He became part of the leadership of Shushan, the palace. And now he's on, on the outside of the gate walking to find out what's going on. He has uh, permission to go inside the gate of the king. And during that time, everything is probably clicking on okay, with the exception of a real conflict between Haman, a wicked descendant of uh, the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Malachite king, Agag, and the descendant of Saul, which was Mordecai. Both of them came from the same descendants. And those guys, uh, years later, by the way, decisions and neglect in our, in our present day will complicate future generations. You want to be an idiot today, you're going to hurt your family, your grandkids later. It just goes that way. You say, well, I don't think we need to do this anymore. We're not going to be faithful to this. We're going to let back on that. What you do today is going to affect others in the future. It's a principle. Be not deceived. God is not mock. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. He reminds us about that. And so uh, because, uh, because of, 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 I think, ancestry, because of demonic activity, whatever happens there... Um, Mordecai does not bow when Haman comes and eats his lunch. And Haman goes to an extreme, not just to get rid of Mordecai, but he finds out he's Jewish. And he says, you know what, I can, I'll, we'll find a way to kill every Jewish person. If, that, if, if Jewish people, if the Jewish religion makes you not salute me, not to honor me, not to bow down and worship me like a deity, then I'll just get rid of everybody. And, of course, you know he did the purr. He, he rolled the dice, if you will. He drew, strew, drew straws. And he chose that, um, that uh, what month? And he decided on the 12th month. He was in the first month of the year. So 11 months later, on the 13th day, he would uh, design that day to, to exterminate every Jewish person a modern-day Holocaust on one day. So he went into the king, got permission from the king, says, here, here's my ring, take it, make the rule, whatever. You know, there's a group of people that cause you problems, and you're going to lose the taxation, but I'll put 10,000 uh, talents of silver into your, into your coffers. It, the, you'll, you'll get it back. Don't worry about that. And Because the king was probably thinking, man, you kill out all those people who pay taxes. He goes, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that I do that. And sure enough, he, the king let him go on and... Everything's clicking pretty good, except for when Mordecai finds out, Mordecai finds out about it. He does three things. It, it was a time for sackcloth. He humbled himself. He took off his good clothes and he put on sackcloth and he began to wail and cry and make a spectacle of himself somewhat. It was a time of solitary where he really he got, went by himself. And then it was a time of supplication. He began to supplicate and say, I need something that needs to happen here. And, and boy, when Esther found out his uncle was in that way, he said, uh, hey, won't you uh, go out there and tell him to stop that? Take the clothes. Maybe he didn't have the clothes or clean clothes. Take some clothes and tell him, don't do that. It's embarrassing. 
He said, oh, I'm going to do it all right. He said, you don't know what's going on. He sent a copy of the rule, and, and, and he, she said, well, I can't go into the king. If I, it's been 30 days since he even asked me to come. And the king had such power in that day that if he just didn't like you, he just said the word and you're gone. I mean, he did that with Haman. Go hang him. Boom. You know, he's, he's hung. You know? And if you want to come and see him, he, you couldn't come without his invitation, without some risk. And he said, she said to Uncle Mordecai, I can't. If I go in there, I, he's not even asked me. I've not even seen him in 30 days. If I just walk in there, he might not accept me. You know, Mordecai, I sent back, do you think you're going to escape this? You think you, you as a Jewish lady, you're, not gonna, you're gonna be the exception instead of the rules? I don't think so. He said, you wanna think about why you're where you are. I thought I was putting you into the contest and giving you an opportunity to have a better life, but you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. This is why I put you in this planet. This is why God has you here. You need to realize your timing and why God gave you so much, so much blessing. Why you're where you are. Once again, this is five years later after she's been the queen and she's probably enjoyed a lot of pleasures and a lot of comforts. He said, you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And of course, from there, uh, she said, well, then you need to fast with me. I'll fast. I'll have a maiden's fast. And we'll see what happened here. And they had the kingdom fasting and then... She managed to invite the king and Haman to come to a special place and, and enjoy a meal. And at that meal, I think she probably had every intention to tell the king what was on her heart. But delay and discernment told her it's not time. I wonder how many times God has told us it's not time and we pushed. I've done that so many times because we want, we, we want what we want now. And God oftentimes uses delay, and we see it throughout the scripture. Wait, wait, wait. And he said, he's, the king says, what do you want? Up to half the kingdom, I'm ready. Tell me what you want. Haman's there, and she's there, and he's there. And, and uh, he said, tell you what, just how about come back tomorrow? What I want you to do is come back tomorrow, and then I'll tell you what's on my heart. And they were glad to come back tomorrow. And of course, Haman skipped out of that, that palace with the queen, and then he walked by Mordecai. And he gave him a glare and he didn't bow down and it made him so mad. And he went home and told his wife and told Zeresh and told his friends and said, guys, come, man, I had, the, I had a great day. I mean, went to the king's house, went to, with the queen's house and we met. I was just me, the king and the queen. It was unbelievable. And then I had to go by, I had to go by Mordecai. That's you. Oh, I can't stand him. And he rehearsed with him. He said, man, I, I've got possessions. He talked about his, his, uh, his uh, paternal blessings. He had all these 10 kids, 10 boys. Because I got, I got money, I got possessions, I got a position, I'm second to the king, and then I got such privilege, I was with the queen and the king, just us three, it was unbelievable. He said, but it's all nothing to me. Now I wonder how many people focus on something that's done to them at the expense of all the things that have been done for them. You've got all the blessings that other people want. Think about uh, Fanny Crosby as an eight-year-old child whose eyes, her vision was taken away uh, because of some mustard paste by a drunken physician when she was an infant. And eight years old, she wrote that little poem, Oh, what a happy soul am I. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. I have so many blessings that other people don't to weep inside because I'm blind. Ah. 
I cannot and I won't. And boy, he got his, he had all these blessings and one thing he didn't like and he, it ruined him. Ruined him. And of course, he went home and they said, you know, you're second in charge. Just go in tomorrow, tell the king, this guy has got on your, you've got one nerve and he's all over it. And tell him you're just sick of him. You can't stand him and you want him to go. And the king's going to give you whatever you want. He said, yeah. And overnight, he stayed up half the night, looks like, having a gallows built in his backyard high. I don't know why he would build it 75 feet high. How high is our building, our, our ceiling here? Do you know? 39 feet. Good night. It's, it's high. Why would he want to build it that high? I don't know. But he got the construction guys going and, and uh, to, to, to build that thing that high, string him up like a flagpole, I guess. And, uh, but what he did not know is that while he was doing the construction project, the king couldn't sleep. And the king asked for some boring minutes to be read for him of his kingdom. And they actually read the part where Mordecai uh, found out a plot against his life from Big Than and Teresh. Boy, those sound like thugs, don't they? Big Than and Teresh, I can just see him. One's a big old guy and one's skinny like Lauren Hardy probably. Nonetheless, they, they, they find out about that, and he, he lets Esther know. Esther tells the king, and he reads all this and says, wow, that's amazing. I kind of forgot about that. that. When did that happen? And hey, what do we do for that guy? What do we do for Mordecai, who saved my life? I didn't realize that. We killed those guys, right? Yeah, we got rid of those guys. They, we found out about it. Mordecai heard about it, reported it. And he said, what do we do for Mordecai? We did absolutely nothing, king. I don't know if this is 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, but... He said, we didn't do anything for him. He goes, that is not right. And all of a sudden, he hears the, hears the front gates rattle there. And he said, maybe it's the morning time. Maybe he's had his coffee. He looks out there and says, hey, who's out in the courtyard? He says, oh, Haman's out there. He said, well, hey, go bring him on in. He's got good ideas. He said, what do you think we should do for the man in my kingdom that I want to honor really well? And boy, oh, Haman, the Bible says... He thought in his heart. How many of your hearts ever deceived you? Your heart ever messed you up? You just thought wrong, you felt wrong, and you wanted something that wasn't wrong, that wasn't right. Uh, he said, well, who would he want to honor more than me? And boy, did he, he, had an eye on, he had an eye on the throne. He said, well, if I would want to honor really someone, I'd, I'd put your crown on his head. I'd put your clothes on his back. I'd put him on your horse. And I'd have someone that you really appreciate take him around and just tell everybody this is the guy the king loves. This king loves this guy. He wants to honor him, wants him to know he is special in our kingdom. And could you imagine the next words out of the king's mouth? That is a great deal. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Do that for Mordecai. Well, I can't even imagine. I want to see Haman's face one day when he heard that. My goodness. Could you imagine going down to the the stable and getting the horse and getting all the things he cannot believe and then inviting Mordecai to come back and let me get him all dressed up and get him on the horse and walk around all day telling people this is what this is what happens when a king wants to really admire somebody after he gets done he turns the horse in takes Mordecai takes all the stuff back and then he puts his hoodie on remember that he covers his head and he walks home tells his wife and his friends you're not going to believe this 
This is horrible. I'm getting ready to go to see the king and the queen again tonight, but the day I had was unbelievable. And they said, you're done. (laughs) Put a fork in you. It's over. He said, if this happened to you, you're going to be answering to Mordecai. That's what's going to happen to you. Oh, yeah, thanks a lot. That time, knock on the door. Let's go. King's waiting for you. Let's go. And he runs out, jumps in the carriage, goes on over to the king's and queen's house. And, of course, we finished last week the turning point of the story. Whenever um, the queen finally says, uh, well, king, here's what I want to tell you. He's, he's excited. He's waited 24 hours. He's not slept all night. Neither men have slept all night. And they, now they're, he's like, what do you want? What, what is it you want? He says, well, he goes, if, if our people were born, uh, if, if there's someone in the king that wants to exterminate me and my people, the Jewish people. And king, if it was just to make us slaves, I don't think I would even become asking. We'd deal with that. We are slaves. We came here as slaves. I think I could handle that. But it's not like that. They want to kill us. They want to destroy us and totally wipe us out. And it's going to happen. This is the third month of Sylvan. But he said, it's going to happen in nine months. On the twelfth month and the thirteenth day. Sivan is the month. He said, it's going to happen. And he said, what? They're going to kill you and your people. Who is this? Who would this? Who would have this idea? And of course, could you imagine Haman again? I'm sure facial expressions would say it all. As he's like, oh no, it's this wicked Haman right here. And boy, Haman, uh, like he goes, you, you're you're my right hand. What a. And he runs out into the garden and runs around out there. And while he runs out in the garden to blow off some steam and kick the rocks and uh, and things, now Haman is over there begging for his life at the uh, at the at the couch where Esther is. And the king comes in and he sees what his precarious situation. Says, "Oh, you're going to force the queen right here in front of me? Is that what you're going to do? You're going to kill the Jews and force the queen? You're out of here!" And before he could get it out of his mouth. He was headed, and then one of the chamberlains said, or Bonus said, hey, he's been working all night on the gallows that's right in his backyard. He said, well, go hang him on it. And the king got appeased. As we get to our chapter 8, the Bible tells us now that uh, Hazarus has, has, has killed him, and he, and he says, you know what, Esther, I wanted to give you in charge of Haman's house. Whatever he, whatever he has, that belongs to you now. And he took off his ring that he had taken off of Haman or brought back from Haman when he got killed. And he took off his ring and he says, you know what, I want to give the ring to Mordecai. You can have the ring. You are my right hand now. And uh, he makes that real quickly. But then he gets another visit by the queen. She'll accept whatever he has, but then she goes to him. And once again, he'll have to raise his scepter and she takes the scepter, and he accepts her, her visit. He said, what do you want, girl? So He goes, you know, I just can't bear to think that everything is the law of the Medes and Persians. What you signed and what Haman did, it can't be reversed. Remember how that uh, Daniel was thrown to the lion's den? Why, was he, why couldn't he change it? Because it was, it was a law that could not be reversed. This was one of those things. He couldn't reverse it. He said, I don't know what to do. I don't think I can, I can stand to watch all my people die. And um, he said, he said well, what, do you, what do you want to do? And what they do, it seems like to me, is they make another law. They make another law, and the law is 
that on that 13th day of December, or not December, it would be December, our month, it's another, it, it would probably be the month of, uh, of March. But on that, uh, in, our, in our calendar, on that 13th day of Adar, that, uh, that day, I'm going to make a law, and you guys write it up. He told Mordecai, get, it, get, get with the guys and write it up so that the Jews on that day can defend themselves. They can defend themselves against anyone who comes after them. Anyone tries to kill them, they can take their life. And there's someone plotting around, giving them a hard time, and planning to do that or make some threats on that day, that's a time that they can defend themselves. And the Bible tells us that that's exactly what happened. Mordecai moved into action, and he had it all written out, law written out. And the king signed, the longest verse in our Bible is found in chapter 8 and verse number 9. And Brother Tom read that just a few moments ago. But we can leave in verse number, verse number 9. It says, Then were the king's scribes called at the time of the third month. And of course, on the first month is when he did it. Now two months have gone by. That The month of Sivan, on the three and thirteenth day thereof, it was written, According to that all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews and to the lieutenants and the deputies and the rulers and the provinces from India to Ethiopia, he went ahead and sent it out to every province. How many, how many provinces are there? Do you remember how many there are? Yes, 127 uh, provinces. Are, and the Jews, looks like they had infiltrated all of those. And then in verse number 10, it talks about he sent them out on horseback, on post, horseback riders, on mules, some rode on camels, and, and dromedaries, which is like a camel, a young, a young camel. And he sent them out to the 127 with this law that every country that he went to, every providence, uh, now they had one law in the books, and now they had another law that allowed the, the Jews to defend themselves. They would call that celebration per. We'll find that in the next study because they would defend themselves. And on that day, the slaughter was not going to be against the Jews. It would be against anybody who hated them. Anybody who followed along with Haman's plot. It was those people that died on that day. And, and for every year after that, they would have an anniversary celebration on that, uh, that day, of the, of the day, not the day of, but the two days after that. And you'll see that later in your reading. If you would please look, if you would please, in verse number 12. And upon the day of all the, the providence of King Ahasuerus, namely, upon the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, a copy of the writing of the commandment had been given to every province and published to all the people that the Jews should be ready against the day to avenge themselves of their enemies. And so the post, they delivered it, verse 14. Verse 15, And Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel, blue and white with a great crown of gold and the garment of, of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan, what does the rest of the verse say? Rejoiced and was glad. Would you take a moment and just go back, hold your place here and go to chapter 3 and verse 15, would you? Go back to chapter 3 of Esther, verse number 15. Everybody turn there. Verse 15, it says, And the post went out, being hastened by the king's command. This is to kill all the Jews. On that day, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace, and the king and Haman sat down to drink. Would you read the rest of the verse with me, everyone? But the city of Shushan was perplexed. At this time, all Shushan, back on chapter 8, verse number 15, it rejoiced and was glad. And the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and every city, whithersoever the king 
commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness and feast and a good day. How many like having a good day? <laughs> when I read that, they just had a good day. I had a good day, and many of the people of the land became Jews. They started following the Lord God of Jehovah. For the fear of the Jews fell upon them. They recognized who they were, and it fell upon them. And they said, if you can't beat them, join them. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture and several things here, but I want you just to remind you of a few things I think that could be very helpful uh, to us. But primarily, we can see that the tables turn. The tables turn, and things can change real quickly when God is in charge. I think not only is God overseeing things and is he providential and sovereign in things, I would not count myself to be anywhere near a Calvinist. At the same time, I would never deny the sovereignty and the providence of God. He knows, he knows, according to his foreknowledge, he knows what's going on. But the one thing I love about God is he can change things on a dime. He can change things very quickly. Sometimes you know, when you're working with people with problems, you think, you know what, he'll never change. She'll never change. This is not going to work. I don't know why I should do this. Let me just tell you something. If God's in the equation, change can happen. And if sin is a problem, grace is greater. This reminds me of that. Next thing I want to share with you is that, that righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Where is that found in the Bible? Anybody know where that's found? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 34, righteousness. When the righteous rule, the people rejoice. We live in a nation where I think a lot of wicked, wicked we've got the leaders we deserve. But uh, the wickedness causes chaos. The leadership causes all kinds of a mess. And we need to pray for our country. But I think here you see that what was happening, one city, the city was in, perplexed. Their leaders were sitting down to get drunk, and the whole city was going, it was going to hell in a handbasket with lots of confusion and perplexity. However, time to come, now you have a different, different sheriff in town. Now it's not Haman and the king of Hazard, it's Haman and, and Mordecai, and the Bible says that the people of Shushan rejoiced. And the joy that came to the Jews, and the gladness and the happiness, and God gave them a good day for the leadership. You know, I'm looking forward to the Lord Jesus coming back one day. I wouldn't mind if he came back today. That'd be hard for me. Some of you guys dating, you don't want that, but I understand. I would have been the same way. When people talk about the second coming when I was engaged, I didn't like it at all. It was terrible. I was like, yeah, please change the subject. It's going to... Isn't that right, Elias and Charity? You guys are on that page, aren't you? You get married on Friday night. They don't want the Lord to come back. <laughs> they want to be married. Yeah, sure. That's what happens. But nonetheless, aren't you glad that one day when the Lord Jesus comes back, we're going to have a perfect king and a perfect time? And you think a thousand years you're going to enjoy this world as, as without the curse. The lion will lay down with the lamb. The chaos, the mobs, the, the injustices. I, today someone showed me something where some, some elderly person was beat mercilessly by some thugs for whatever they had in their wallet. You know, just, it just grieves. But boy, when you, when you train kids, they, they came from animals, they act like animals. When they don't have a mooring or a conscience or nothing to hold on to. Sometimes I heard a, one lady one time and raised a young girl raised by atheist parents. She's dying. 
And uh, she had a Christian, a Christian neighbor across the hall in her apartment complex, one atheist, and this girl was a Christian. They were friends. And, and she appealed to her many times, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. And she got real sick. And not, in, not under death yet, but nearly at the end of death, they, the mom and dad said, honey, just hold on, just hold on, just hold on. And she looked them in the eye to her mom and dad who were atheists and said, you've given me nothing to hold on to. Hold on to what? Who? And you know, it caused her to get saved, and I'm glad. I don't know if her atheist parents ever got saved, but it caused her, her little friend to be able to, to what she told her, caused her to accept the gospel of Christ. By the way, you never know who you're going to witness to. But for a thousand years, you're going to enjoy the blessings of God in a perfect environment with, where there's going to be a king that is absolutely perfect and will rule and reign. And sometimes I think we spend too much time in this nasty life that we live in and with all the con- corruption and challenges, trying to get comfortable in a world that we need to really be living for the next world. I think it's what Jesus said, lay up for your treasures in heaven. He wants us to set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. He said, don't, don't get caught up here. No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life. But he focuses on pleasing the one who put him here. Like people who go into another land to fight wars in Somalia or Rwanda, or they go into to Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever they shipped them to. They don't, they don't take their entertainment centers. They don't take all their little models. They don't take the things they build. They don't take their Lego sets. <laughs> no. They just take what they need to get in there, get the job done, and get out. And we ought to have a simplistic way in which we look at things and ask God to keep us from materialism and ask us to use our life, our talents, our skill sets for an eternal kingdom.